Well, hello out there. Uh, this is my friend Johnny W. Hey. With Johnny D on the backup. <laughs> Drug-free. <laughs> so, so put, put the, the crack, crack up. up. Yeah. That's, uh, that's I'll let you know our People generation. still smoke crack? Johnny, you know, I know you're going to be shocked to hear this, but I'm not really up on the drug culture. Like, really? in terms of, like, I, I do. Like, people, like, crack was such a, it was cheap, I guess, and so it became this pervasive thing. But I don't hear a lot about people smoking crack anymore. I don't know. I like, I feel like a Whitney Houston reference is coming soon. I think meth took over, right? Um, is it still playing in the background? <laughs> <laughs> the theme song? <laughs> I think it just ended. <laughs> you that was hear great. It. Yeah, I think meth did take over, but um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, here at Banter Town, Johnny, we don't do any sort of drugs. So <sighs> except Tylenol, or you know, I am, I am. I will say, I've had some indigestion lately. So oh, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. You're getting older. You can't eat the pizza late at night anymore. I don't know what it is because I've had like a stomach of steel forever. But uh, so, do you ever get food caught? So this uh, is an old. This is an old man problem. Wait, hold on. Your food gets caught? Like, and does it get stuck in your in your esophagus? You ever had You're food pointing that... to your chest. <laughs> well, yeah, your esophagus is, yeah, it gets stuck, like, right here. I don't think of the esophagus as, like, your throat. Well, it goes all the way down, Johnny. Okay. I don't know if you know But once how... it goes down further, doesn't well, it become it just something drops else? drops off into But oblivion? doesn't it become something else once it's down further? It stays esophagus the whole way? Well, I don't... Well, I mean, eventually, I'm sure it carries Sh- give into me, show, the... <laughs> show me a chart. You're making this stuff up. What's the whole thing about if you stretch the intestines out? They would wrap around the world three times? No, I thought it was if you stretch your intestines out end to end, you would die. That's what I always, that's what I always heard. That's like the whole thing. I love jokes like that. Like, if everyone across the United States held hands, three quarters of us would drown. <laughs> that's really dumb. Yeah, I, do. okay. I love statistical things. I know, though. right? Yeah, they're fun. Um well, well how are you I'm doing sorry that? you're not. Do- so what do they do for your food getting caught? Well, uh, you know, apparently there's a procedure. My father-in-law's had a few times where they stretch your esophagus. They dilate it. Well, they put like a shoehorn in there? <laughs> like an esophagus <laughs> speculum? <laughs> Can we like say a, speculum on like this a show? That's not a... Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know, Johnny. What kind of tool... I don't know. Like, hopefully I'll be asleep if that ever happens. I don't want to know. Just put me to sleep and wake me up. Wake me up over. when I have a wide esophagus. <laughs> and then I'm going out and eating whatever the heck. I, I'm not even Yeah, you just throw back a hoagie <laughs> like, I don't without even chew chewing. <laughs> just lodging Subway sandwiches in like they're Tic Tacs. The, the truth be told, I don't really have a problem. I just want to, I just want to skip the chewing. And you just see best. people with wide esophaguses and you're like, I bet they have a great life. <laughs> I do. You're jealous. That guy has no problems. Yeah. It's a strange. When you breathe strange... heavy, it kind of whistles. That's a weird. <laughs> it's like a wind tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe um, you'll be able to sing. wonder if it'll change your singing voice a while. Well, I don't think you sing from your esophagus. I'm but it, it's, sure. a, it's a part of it, I would think. Like Is it's it? your windpipe. You know, I do sometimes wonder in, in terms of the acid production, what that does to the back of your throat. <sighs> Because I do get some acid right now. What's the old singer's tips? Like if you're having a bad throat, that you're supposed to eat like uh, Lay's potato chips. Uh, it was not Amy Grant. Was it Amy Grant? Amy thing? Grant. She used to eat Lay's potato chips because the fat and the crunchiness that would like coated her uh, would coat points. your throat. I don't know. Now they sell things like Entertainer's Secret and Throat Coat. And I think the secret is that there's nothing in it but water. You know what I'm saying? Like it tastes weird. It tastes like a Red Bull. Does it? Or like one of those five hour energies. I wonder what it does exactly. I, I can't deny that it works, but it kind of numbs. It doesn't. It's like chloroseptic. Yeah, and when that helps, I'm sure. I think it just fills in all the little cracks and gaps. And I've used it before, but uh, usually my voice holds up okay, um, unless I'm super sick. Yeah. But. Yeah, you're. You know, I am sitting here, and you were laughing when we came in. I told you I'm having this issues, these issues, and then I have a Culver's cup. You've been to Culver's. <laughs> so I went to Culver's with my uh, brother Wes, and the deal is I went in there. They actually have a really good salad because I've been eating good. <laughs> they on. do. I, I Dude, know. why did you go there if you're getting a salad? Though? That's not a salad. Place. Because I like the salad. They have salad and they have soup. So I go and in they there. they have ice cream. I go, well, I didn't do that. I go in there and I, you. and I order the salad at Culver's. So yeah. I'm already, this is good. So now I'm really, I'm, I'm about 12 days into good eating, okay? Oh, wow. Yeah. 
And so uh, making better decisions. It's, you know, you want to know why it's so hard as a parent to not eat right? Because for me, like last night we ate we ate out at Cheddar's before church. Yeah. I had the off the lighter side menu, the <sighs> salmon with the mango salsa. Yeah. It was it was delicious. But not enough. Like I wanted four no, you more want, of them. Yeah. And then Sadie gets a cheeseburger with bacon on it and French fries. And do you think that that nine-year-old finishes it? No, of course not. No. She and looks, it sits there and stares at you. Like yeah. you can almost hear it talking, you know. How does uh, the burger sound? <laughs> Read me. <laughs> Read me? <laughs> <laughs> that was my, no, it wasn't. Long story short, I got a half my burger lodged in my esophagus. <laughs> If I get that thing expanded, bro, oh, it's going to be unbelievable. Just go straight down to the bottom. Apparently, it just drops off into nothingness. Say the old Johnny. Say he'll never eat again. <laughs> She's already a pretty lean kid. She is. She is. She eat and she eats crazy stuff. So the Easter candy is yeah. piled up in our pantry, and she comes home every day. How do you stay away She's, from it? Well, Johnny, at some point in time, the better thing because I'm the kind of guy that you have to remove everything from the house, yeah. or else I'll I'll you know relapse into bad eating. So you've again. locked yourself out of the pantry. No, I'm just I'm learning to. It's there, and I don't have to eat it. What? It's called self control. I read. I looked it up. It's called self-control. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. That's a myth. I know. I, and um, so Good I'm, for you, buddy. I'm trying. And right now, I'm 12 days in uh, after 40 years of not doing it. But uh, not all through seasons where I have. But in, anywho, at Culver's, I go in to order the salad. the salad. And what do you think they say? Would you like a cheeseburger with that? <laughs> <laughs> what? They're out of the salad. We're not serving salads and the reason is there's some sort of um, E. coli outbreak or something oh, with right. some romaine lettuce coming out of, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I heard about this China. They're recalling all the – is it China? I don't know. They make lettuce? But the narcissistic part of my life said, you know, it, instead of thinking about all the people who have been actually ill and caring about them or right. the farmers who are raising these crops that are going to lose it, all yeah. those things. You know what I thought? You know what? That's just like the the universe to stop me from eating good today. Right you know, here, I am coming to Culver's and have all this self control, and I somehow made it about me. Yeah, and this is my. So confession. you just didn't get anything. You know what? I ordered a chicken sandwich and didn't eat the bread, and they have green beans. And I had chicken sandwich. They green don't beans. have green beans. They at do, and they're like fresh, like freshly cut. They're the freshest green beans you've ever had, and they had all these chopped up onions in it. So, what? yeah, I didn't eat the onions. I don't want to smell like onions. I like onions. But anywho, I tried. But Culver's, and I did not get. Now, Wes got the Reuben or whatever and, and with green beans. So, so apparently I, I affected him positively. Wes Binkley with Remax Realty. Yes. Give oh, him a call for all your home buying needs. He's done both of our houses. Not a sponsor <laughs> because he's not paid us any money. Wes, let's go find out if Wes actually listens to the podcast. Let me tell you, though, Wes is a solid dude. He's a good dude. He... um he looks in on my dogs sometimes when I'm out of town. He doesn't do anything for them. He like, just looks how at long them. have you and I been friends? 20 years. 20 years. I don't call you for stuff like that. No, you shouldn't. I won't come. Because I just feel weird about it, and that's maybe something we should talk about. Should I feel weird about that? You called me the other day to go do something, and I couldn't because you needed it But done. I think I'm that kind of friend, too. I think people are like, well, don't call Johnny to help you move. He's, he's probably doing comedy somewhere, and he's not going to be able to. He's going yeah. to flake. But I'm saying with you, it's always been like a, I don't, he's got, Sadie, I don't, there's not a, I don't call you for stuff like that. Yeah. And I appreciate it. But I'm thinking, <laughs> I, I feel weird because like Wes and I are not as close as you and I, but we're close. But I thought Wes is kind of my guy. Like, hey, if I need a ride to the airport, I might call but Wes. He lives the, down the road too. Here's the crazy thing. Yeah. Wes has four kids. Yeah. Like his life is way busier than mine. Right. But I have given the impression that mine's that busy. I'm going to start calling you. Mm-hmm. Would you feed my dogs? If I said, hey, dude, I just Do I get you. to choose what I feed them? Yeah. Anything. I can just bring whatever they I They have had all of their esophaguses enlarged, so <laughs> you're going to be – it's going to be a dream. <laughs> I'm going to bring them the salad. You can just throw it. It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even have to aim. It'll make it. No, I, I just – I think I'm, you're going to be the next call. It's going to be, hey, can you – I hope that you could call me and I would do things for you. All right. But uh, you know what? It, it, it There's really, a good chance that no. Right. Well, you well, again, you just tried it and it didn't work. What I'm saying is Wes is a good dude. I was out of town for uh, to Knoxville. This is kind of a last-minute thing. <laughs> Not last-minute, but probably had like a week or so notice. My brother has been fostering. Uh, my brother and his family have been fostering uh, a little baby since she was two weeks old. Yeah. We've talked about it before mm-hmm. on the podcast. It's been an up-and-down roller coaster of just foster care is unbelievable. Yeah. And... 
So the mother of the child uh, signed over her rights to the baby mm-hmm. recently. So it was up for them to adopt if they want to. They pursued that, and then they set a date. And then luckily, it's a date that I was in town. I got to go be there for that. But I had to like find out when we leave together. When Curry and I leave somewhere together, we have to figure out what's going to happen with the dogs. Right. We don't kennel them because they're babies. They're just like they don't do well in yeah you know cages. So Wes came over and looked in on them, but we got to go to see. Uh, Did we he got come to, over, let him out, and fed him? He let him out. Day? He fed him. I, I think I fed them. It was only one night. Okay. So I fed them before I left, and I said, "Hey, come let him out a couple times." Yeah. You know, and he's like, "Sure thing." But he has fed him before. He's cleaned up poop in my house. No way. Because one time, like they don't poop in what the house. What about the dogs' poop though? Right. Okay. They don't poop in the house a lot, but every now and again, the timing's off, or they're angry. Who knows <laughs> what the reason is? They're like, "Take this," you know. <laughs> And he, I'll find out later, like, dude, because one time I came when there was like cleaners of, that I didn't recognize, like, what's this? These aren't, we don't buy these. He was like, yeah, I went and got some because I had to, I was like, you you went and bought things to clean up? Things. That's a good guy. Yeah. He's a good dude. I didn't pay him back for it either. No. No. This is his payback right now. He's being yeah. honored publicly. West among Spigley, millions of Remax people. Realty. Uh, he's your home buying solution. He's sold my house and helped me buy my new one. He found my house. He helped me sell my house too. So we're. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, man, it's this guy's. He's on fire. He should be a sponsor. He Wes, should if be you're listening. Yeah, like he spends marketing dollars. They yeah. do that. Why not on a podcast yeah, that gets dozens upon dozens? No, come on, man. We're taking the world by storm, bro. <sighs> by storm. Yeah. Anyway, so your brother, my brother, adopted uh, their little baby. I saw the picture and, and it was really, it was really sweet. And it's sweet. That's Gosh, the, the party baby. of four picture. Yeah. yeah. She's adorable. They're just, it's so sweet. And it's and such so. a beautiful thing, man. I mean, yeah, I was really moved by it. It was real quick. Like you go in and the judge kind of, it's kind of cute what he said. He like, he, the social worker goes over that. Now, you know, this is non-rescindable and you're, t- you're taking responsibility for this child and you know, you're aware of them. They sign the paper. Yeah, we've signed. And the judge is just going over the things and literally he's in there like five minutes. Mm-hmm. And then he just goes, all right, it's a girl. And he bangs the gavel. And wow. then he's like, you're out. And then he took a picture with us, wow. with the family. So that was kind of cool. And uh, I mean, it's a happy day. I mean, you th- when you're in court, it's not usually a, a good thing. No. But that was kind of a neat thing, man. We go down there to do all that. And then we went and had the whole family and, and uh, Tara, his wife, their extended family, went to breakfast together. And, you know, and I don't know. Was, I, was so, I was so excited for them because my brother – kind of got a late start in the whole family thing and they've had some trials and tribulations and I just, I'm tickled for him, man. He called me when he started, like when they first started fostering, he texted me and he said, I said, how are you doing? How's it going? And he's like, I'm, he goes, I'm changing diapers for the first time. And he was like emotional about it. Wow. Like he'd waited his whole life, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, he was in his forties before he changed his first diaper and he's just like, He's like teary eyed about it. And I just thought, man, what a neat thing. So I'm so thrilled for them. And and they just bought a little farmhouse in Coryton, Tennessee, and they're fixing it up. And they have shiplap, like the <laughs> the gains. You have to have shiplap. You do. So they took their tax return and bought shiplap. And I'm just like, it's so funny. We take these and make the, we try to make our houses look older. and Or as you can call it, wood. It's just wood. Right. It's just wood planks stacked against each other. Right. It can, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I just the, the the fostering and adoption world. There's such a purity, yeah, man. Such a purity. You know, you're putting your heart right out there too to be yeah. ripped apart if you if it doesn't go well. And a lot of times, it's not in your power. And that's the thing, you know. It it really is a it, it's a selfless thing. It's about the child. Yeah, you know. And um, yeah, you know, I mean, they went out of their way to even you know help the mother a yeah. few times. You, there's only there's there's limitations to what you can do because you can't sway them. Right. But like uh, there's just <laughs> they want to remain in contact with her and they want her to be part of, you know, it's just interesting. It's a your goal as a foster parent should be reconciliation of the family. Yeah. But at some point you just go, man, this this kid, this situation is way better than what the kid would be going back into. And they've known her. They've had her since she was two weeks old. So this mother really never even knew wow. the baby. So. She eventually realized that, and it just has all worked out. So I'm so tickled for them. Well, there's so much, you know. My our buddy Reggie Dabs, you know, was adopted. And, yeah, and um, you know, he tells that story. We wrote a book about the whole story. His mom already had um, three kids. Yeah, and she was, you know, 16 at that point and had been abandoned by her parents. And um, 
it's a, it's a crazy story. If you never heard of, if you never heard Reggie Dabbs, you can just go YouTube Reggie Dabbs. And yeah. there's just there's just millions and millions of of things you can go watch. Um, because he's just in a different school every day, telling telling the story. But you know, she was living in an abandoned chicken coop mm-hmm. in a, on a farm outside of Knoxville with her three kids, and she was getting up in the morning. She was taking them to uh, the gas station bathroom, She's cleaning them up, and then taking them to a daycare because they get cared for and fed. And she would work two nurse – sorry, not nursing, two waitress shifts mm-hmm. to pay for that bill and then pick them up in the dark on the way home and then restart that process every yeah. day. And so eventually she got sick. Obviously, the conditions were horrible. I mean, look at that chicken coop, man. Yeah. A chicken coop with babies. And, um, and this – Guy came along and, and she needed twenty bucks to pay her bill. She was twenty bucks short, and he said, "You know, if you give me, or I'll give you twenty bucks if you sleep with me." And she did because she was desperate, mm-hmm. and um, and that's how Reggie came about. Yeah, and you know when we began that story, and I don't, I don't. This is us does a great job too. You know of uh, all right. Deja in the story. You mm-hmm. know of you have these preconceived notions about. The mom, you know, and right. and the foster parents who are taking care, you know, they're they're very angry. They're very protective. They're very and and, mm-hmm. and that does a good job of showing that everybody has a a reason or a story or you know there's something in their life. And yes, it, it has bad decisions. And we're so quick in our society to hold some people more responsible for their bad decisions than we hold ourselves, especially when we had a lot of people to bail us out yeah. of our bad decisions. You know. And um, or someone to really lead us away. I mean, there's a lot of decisions people in this world are making. I did not have the opportunity to even make that bad yep. decision. Mm-hmm. I had a mom and a dad saying, "You will not make that decision." Right? <laughs> like there was no way yeah. I could even do yeah. it. And you're not um, going to hang around with that kid, right? I mean, he's just, not allowed over. <laughs> exactly. And you don't know then the thread of your story right. that would have been if left mm-hmm. to your own devices. And so, um, for Reggie's mom, she went to her. It was her second grade teacher, and then her tenth grade. English teacher later, the lady had, had moved, and she'd always she just affected her. That's why he goes into schools, affected mm-hmm. her so deeply. And she went to her teacher and said, "I can't, I can't have a, I can't have another one. I can't do this." You know? Yeah. And so that teacher's family took her in for the duration of the pregnancy, mm-hmm. um, and then in the delivery room, she turns to her and says, "I can't do this. Can you adopt this baby? I, I can't do four. Mm-hmm. You know." And the mom agreed. And you, so when we wrote that first book, it was this amazing story. First of all, you know, it was easy to vilify the mom. And Reggie set out intentionally. And he, he only talked to her on the weekend, never met her in person. Yeah. And and uh, we set out to – he really wanted to make up the point that, that that mom, his mom saved his life. Yeah, what she did was actually brave. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could say, and he goes in and says, you know, some of you kids feel like you're worth nothing. You know what my worth is? $20. Yeah. You know, and he'll tell that story, but that there was courage in what she had done. And, yeah. and, and, and there's, you know, obviously so much shame that could be attached to it. And so it was just a, such an amazing story because there's so much we haven't written yet after that first book. So that, you know, Miss, Mrs. Dabbs, the the teacher, brought him in, and 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 her and her husband adopted Reggie. And he grew up and found out he was adopted at second grade. Felt very like he just doesn't know his whose father is and doesn't yeah. understand. You know, and and so that's a part of his story, feeling behind. But that that life change. Well, then after the book, I don't know if I've ever told this story in the podcast before, and I, I hope we get to write about it someday. He came and ate with me one day in Mount Juliet, and he said, "Dude, you will not guess what happened." He said. I was in Knoxville doing an event, and I got a phone call, uh, and it was a kid. Mm-hmm. And, and he and he said, "What are you doing?" And Reggie said, "How'd you get this number?" And the kid said, "I got connections." And he goes, "No, really? How'd you get this number?" He goes, "I'm your nephew." Hmm. And he's like, "What?" And so the kid had been in a school, middle school, that day. Went home and was in the kitchen with his grandma, and was telling. Oh, you won't guess who came to school today, and here's what he said, here's what he did. And she goes, what was his name again? Reggie Dabbs. And the grandma dropped a bunch of dishes and broke and just broke down crying. That's his mom. Oh, my <laughs> That's gosh. Reggie's mom. And and so they – she has his number. They talk. They just, just – just nice. After his adopted mom died, his adopted mom made sure that they began talking some. Yeah. And she kept up with it. That's the story we didn't know. And so um, 
literally they invited him over. And when he finished his event that night, it was like three. It was in Fountain City where yeah. you used to live. Oh, right. It was all right there. Their Central High School. Mm. And so uh, he literally got in the car and drove a few streets over and went inside and met his mom in person, his brothers and sisters. They all knew who he was and followed his career. It's crazy. And and the thing that got me, that really got me in the, you know, is they walked in and the books laying on the table. Oh, man. And one of the... Um, one of the brothers said, the reason that mom felt comfortable reaching out to you is because we all appreciate it. You, you did not make her out to be some monster or whatever right. in the book. Like that you had really yeah, – respect you know, for her story. Her. Yeah. yeah. And so that thing – I mean it just – God just melted me. You know? Yeah, because it's easy to do. It's easy to be like you made bad choices and these is the consequences is you mm-hmm. get to be painted like this. You have to have a good guy and a bad guy yep. in these stories. And it's like, no, I think there's more nuance Absolutely. There's choices, like you say, that we all would make, you know, there but for the grace of God, go we. It's like, man, how many things have I been rescued from that I have no idea? Or how many times have I gone down the wrong path but didn't pay the consequences for it because yep. nobody was looking or whatever? Yep. And, man, it's amazing. Yeah, like I said, it's freak. I think it's courageous to give up your baby and realize, hey, I'm in over my head, but I don't want to have an abortion. Yeah. I'm going to reach out for help. Like, Absolutely. We should encourage more moms to do that than just – to be like, no, you made a wrong choice. You should have thought about that before. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. Where's the grace in that? That's not fair. Well, I think we often miss the fact that the grace of God is going to come through God's people. When God's people are showing grace, that is the grace of God. Yeah. It's not like just some abstract concept out there sitting in a theology book. Yeah. That the way, How do you think that's going to reach people? You know, it, God's grace is absolutely reaching people through, you know, spiritual means. But spiritual means he has put a spirit inside of bodies. Yeah. That's his plan. I put spirits inside of bodies, and that's how. That's why you're the you're the body of Christ. I've put my spirit inside, and we miss that. And I think it's because of our biases. You know, it's so hard for me to conceptualize someone else's choice because I mean, we 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 started off joking about it, mm-hmm. but I mean, come on, man, no one's ever offered me drugs, right? <laughs> no one's ever tried to sell me drugs. Yeah, I used to watch these after remember the after school specials. <laughs> yeah. You'd think that, like, everybody in every street corner is going to be like, hey, kid. And, you know, I just did. That wasn't my experience. No. And uh, And we weren't rich or anything. No. And it wasn't like I, yeah. But, and I went to public school for a few years. It wasn't like, I don't know, man. This idea that it was that pervasive. And I'm sure that was some people's experience. But, yeah, it's like there were choices I was shielded from. You know, we talked about that. We had a conversation about that the other day about, like, starting to reconcile in our minds uh, as evangelicals. Evangelicals are starting to come to terms with the fact that like white privilege and white supremacy is a thing right, that we're having to deal with. Like, okay, we've acted like, oh, we had the civil rights movement. This is all over. And you start like every day in the news, you're, you're hit with something else. That, like, how could this happen? How could two black kids in Starbucks who were just sitting around or waiting on their friend they got the police called on them. I read a story about them today. They said literally they were scared for their lives. In Philadelphia, right? Yeah, they yeah. were scared for their lives. And it's because anytime the police are called, all they got to do is say, I thought he had a gun. You know? Yeah. It, it's like anything you're holding in your hand can be a gun. It's like we're living in this weird era where uh, we're having to reconcile those things. So, yeah, we, it's easy to second-guess somebody else's choices based on what your life experience is. But, man, it's there's different Americas for different people. There are. And, you know, we were in a small group last night talking about this very thing. And, you know, I'm coming to a place um, that, you know, and, and there are things even that you get you get scared to talk about because people are have such strong feelings mm-hmm. about it. But I mean, to be honest with, I wish my wife was here. We'll talk about it again when she's on. She and you know, when Black Lives Matter first, you know, that movement first began. Yeah. You know, my first reaction, and I'm not proud of this reaction, and and I'm I've traced now, sort of where some of this started in me, as a educator, youth pastor, or whatever. You know, y- y- you have this. We're teaching kids that you are empowered, yeah, and that you are also then responsible. And that you make your choices no matter what happens in your life, mm-hmm. you have a choice to make. And I still believe that. I think yeah. that's fine. And so somehow though that I think became so ingrained that – and the second thing is is as a history teacher, a history guy, 
I mean, dude, I'm so anti-racism. I'm so I – mean, I used to – you know, you, you've heard me. I will blister people right. <laughs> for racism. Right. Like, I don't want to hear a racist joke. I don't want – like, dude, we're not we're, – no, there's no place for this. Um, and so because I feel so strongly about that and I feel personally responsible for the choices that I make, the idea of white privilege felt so indicting to me yeah. that – and I had done nothing. I had done nothing like to – to support it. Right. And so I don't want to be held responsible for, for 400 years of oppression when I guys, I wasn't there, you right. know, like you can't, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the atrocities of the church in the middle ages. Yeah. You like know, us taking responsibility for the crusades or something. Right. <laughs> it's exactly what it was. Yeah. It's an identical issue to me. Like guys, yeah. okay, that's wrong. And by the way, the true Christians, you know, or those who understood it was wrong as a, a, a Tim Keller talks about this in, in the reason for God in that book, that, Guys, yeah, atrocities were committed under the church. And by the way, that's why people rose up and reformed it yeah. because this was not what Christianity was ever about. Right. And so they were – the reason you call them atrocities is they're the opposite of what Christianity truly was. Yeah. When you're doing the things under the – no matter whether on the Christian flag or not, that's why those spoke out against it sometimes and lost their lives for it. Um, and so – but to say that you know just because something was done in the wrong name. So I didn't want to feel responsible for that because it's too great of a load to carry. And the thing my wife really said to me one night we were talking about it, and she said, you know the one thing, John, that you're not doing right now is you're not listening to what that movement is saying. Yeah, They're trying to tell you something, <laughs> and you're not hearing it because of and, – and that's when – and let's call it what it is. That's when I realized, oh, I have bias. Yeah, Like bias sounds like this huge dirty word, and it can be – but I have something – I have prejudice, not in a racial s- sense of right. I'm, I'm intentionally out because of yeah. – I am just literally the word. I am prejudging. You have a locked-in belief system right. based on your experiences that you think should apply to all people. And right. then when you realize, well, this can't apply to everybody because nobody's had your experience, you think, well, well wait a minute. This has to work because it's all I've ever known. Same with like people who are just like – Free market capitalist to the core. Capitalism, whatever. Everything that we – when we talk about everything, they'll just immediately play the, oh, you want to be commies? You want everybody to have yeah. – if we have a social program, you're going to have to have a social program to manage that. So we'll just get into this thing where it's just free money for everybody. Nobody will work because there will be no incentives. Right. Instead of having a nuanced opinion that says, yes, let's have rewards for people who work hard. Let's have a system that's based on the free market. But also we should have fail-safes. We should have – we shouldn't have people starving to death in America. Yep. And we can have both of those views without you calling me a communist. Right. You, before you just sum it all up with whatever yeah. your particular – and again, you're right. It comes from an experience yeah. usually. And whatever that is that causes me to – I mean a part of it is just, a, is just modern culture. You know, We talked about it in the last podcast a little bit that there was a moment in time where ideals or if you want to go as far as a faith affected your mindset. And today your mindset is the highest reality. Yeah. You're, you're, in fact, we protect it. Yeah. So don't say anything that might that might contradict someone else's mindset, which is going to be based upon their own experiences in general. Above all, experience right. is now the highest form of knowledge. Um, in fact, we even have some things in the Christian world. We'll say, well, you know, a man with an experience is gonna is gonna have the upper hand on a man with a theory every time. Right. And we're saying that in that if I've experienced, you know, things with Christ, then no matter what it is, and, and there's a, a truth to that. But when you take that experience and you blanket it as if it is higher than other people's experiences. Right. That is really – there's such an entitlement and such a – in yeah. my case, an arrogance to that that I wasn't aware I had. Yeah. And there are those – I guarantee you, I have friends who will listen. And because I'm not bashing Black Lives Matter, right? even though they don't consider themselves racist, but like they're going to struggle. They're going to struggle with this conversation. Right. that you've gone left. Yeah, and you want to go <laughs> – You've let the liberals take over. And I'm going – in fact, in my buddy Ty Wagner in, in Watermark you know, in Dallas, Texas, you know, he, he did a video on this. And I encourage you to go look it up, Real Truth Real Quick, Real, real Truth Real Quick. <laughs> real, real, not, also not a sponsor. Real Truth um, Real Quick is about <laughs> neck injuries and how to avoid <laughs> terrible neck pain. It's horrible really. Um, and – you know, he had a very similar story yeah. in his to mine. And he had a a friend in a pastor with a PhD pastor in mm-hmm. Texas of one of the black churches, and they sat down. 
they had the wherewithal to go sit down and talk to somebody yeah. when this all began happening. What's our best response here? And he, they came to the same conclusion that you know I came to, and that's that, guys. If if you're just wor- if you're just asking, do all lives matter? If that's your response, you know, and that was my first thing. Well, of course, all lives matter, and and, yeah. and to but to think. To think, though, that you have to pick one or the other. So when, when they were doing the, the presidential debates, do all lives matter or do black? Like right. those are the only two choices, you know. Yeah. And it was like he said and, – and I heard, a, I heard a, a blogger have a great example. To ask the question in response to someone who's asking you if you think black lives matter to say all lives matter, to respond with all lives matter because I can't is, – is, or, or to say I have to – that has to be a response. Yeah. Is the equivalent – I heard one guy say – of someone doing a, a cancer 5K, like they're starting a 5K for cancer, yeah. and and you go and show up. All these people are there because they know somebody who has cancer, and you run in and grab the microphone and say, go, no, wait a second, guys. Diabetes matters too. Yeah. Diabetes matters, and so does – like yeah. you're not hearing what the purpose of this moment is. We're not saying that other lives yeah. don't matter. It deserves the focus because it's just – we're at a place where uh, it feels in America like black lives are under siege. Uh, and if you community. don't agree with that, understand. Yeah, there are black people who feel that way, and it has to have validity. Yeah, that we at least, at least listen. Have to listen. I right. have to at least right. listen. I don't get that. I don't get the right to tell somebody else right. that my experience yeah. trumps theirs. Well, we talked last week uh, a little bit about the dangers of tribalism and how we're getting down to this weird thing where we run to the next lowest common denominator of who we are, uh, and it's out of fear almost. And that's easy for me to say as a white person uh, that we shouldn't just group up with people who look like us. And that should be because like all black people can't speak for all black people. That I mean, I have tons of it's a weird thing to say, but I do have tons of black friends and they're they have completely differing views a lot. You know what I'm saying? So it's like just like white people have different. So it's like but I will say if you feel like your community is under siege, that is a unifying thing. That's the sure civil is. rights movement. That's what it was. So it's like. It's easy for me to say, like, well, why do we? Why is tribalism a thing? We, it just is. It's just what it's what it is. And I think that, um, I mean, I follow tons of uh, black voices on Twitter, and they'll argue amongst themselves about what the next step should be. Sure. Some want uh, this violent uprising. Some think that well, uh, there's a bias to think that right that, that everyone of one race or one, right. you know ethnicity is all going to have they're all right. going to have the same i mean that in itself is a bias yeah it's i'm fascinated by it and, and again I, i've tried to make uh, a point the, i think it's a huge this last couple of years has been a huge turning point uh and it's a it's kind of a it's a moment where the church is going to lose true relevance if we don't do the right things in this moment i, I think it's a real watershed moment for us and so uh, if we're going to listen, if we're actually going to, or if we're going to be this politics of nationalism and uh, capitalism first and free market above all else, regardless or whatever, it, we're going to lose the moment. I think we got to listen and we got to be better. And I'm trying to do better. But again, that doesn't mean we don't stumble over things. That doesn't mean we don't like oh, get it gonna, wrong or the biases. It's messy. And uh, gosh, I mean, I have. Uh, some friends who I who are black comics uh, who I speak to very frankly about matters of race because we can have those conversations. Like, Why is this? What you know? And I'll just ask the dumbest things as a dumb yeah. white person, and they're like merciful and graceful enough to be like, "Well, this is why." And I'll be like, "Oh," and somebody else overhearing that might be like, "That's really ignorant," and I'll be like, "Yeah, that's why I asked." Now I'm not ignorant anymore. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, you know, it, it comes down to the, the brilliance of what you're saying is it's it. For me, my greatest moment of ignorance was acting as if I had no ignorance. Yeah. It was to, – to any of us to say, no, 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 it's offensive to me for you to say I have bias. Guys, bias in and of itself is not good or bad. Right. It's a reality. Bias by its definition means I see the world through the lens by which I've experienced it. Yeah. And, and anybody – it, it, there's, there, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a it's a, always a bad thing. It just means that you have a viewpoint. To it's just another word for viewpoint. And to say that I don't have a viewpoint, I don't, have a, I don't have a way that I prejudge a situation. In fact, that's just basic educational learning. Is pre-existing schemata. Yeah. Is that you know when your kid, when when you when your when your baby 
learns the word dog, and that's what four-legged creature means. Yeah. To, and then the next time they see they see a cow for the first time, it's a big dog. Right. They go, "Look, big dog." Right. Okay. Well, that they they're prejudiced. That's what that means. They have a bias. Yeah. They don't know how to look at the cow without seeing it through the only thing they've ever experienced, which was the other four-legged animal dog. And that's when you say, oh, no, honey, that's a cow. And now they have two different compartments in their mind, but they're still going to look at the next one through those two. And they see a horse, they're going to say cow. And, okay, well, that's a different kind. And learning means that I, I, it's not wrong mm-hmm. to look at something through the lens, the only lens I have. When it becomes wrong or when it becomes ignorance or it becomes something harmful is when I reach a point that I go, no, 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 no. Now I've seen it all. Yeah. Now I know everything. And since I know everything, it's going to be offensive for you to say there's something I don't know. I think the truly – dude, I don't know if I shared that thing the other day. There's a Martin Luther King clip. Did you mm-hmm. see the Martin Luther King Martin Luther sure. King clip that I shared? It was literally – it was and it was um, from 61 maybe. Okay. And or sixty, and it was, and it had been colorized, and it, it was just man. I'll, I'll share it, and, yeah. and maybe we'll share it from the podcast uh, Twitter account. But he's being interviewed in a church by an NBC reporter, yeah. And the NBC reporter were just basically asked, you know, the question: Is there something? Let's just be honest. Is there not just something about black people? That that's really the problem, you know, and like, is it just such an? It was such wow. an offensive question, and he was so like, who among us? Who among us today right. <laughs> would not be like, you shut your, you know? Right. And he was just like, he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't phased. Yeah. You could tell this is not new to him. And he said, you know, and he talked about not just institutionalization of of you know bad things in society, but he says it is a cruel thing to tell a man with no boots to pull himself up by his bootstraps. Right. Yeah. He said it's a cruel thing to do so. And and he went through a whole ex- much more elaborate and and, right. and but I was like, oh my gosh. And in that moment to it's for some reason, even myself, we'll, we'll gravitate and we'll celebrate Martin Luther King, but we can't hear still the conversation because we're assuming now that that all is done. That all got done. You know, it's all it's all fine. Yeah. And and, and let's be really, really clear. This is not a Hey guys, all policemen are out to you know may not honor. No, and, that's and, ridiculous. And it's ridiculous. Like that's the thing. We have to like. Why do we have to disclaim? But it's still got to be dealt with. It's like Chris Rock. I saw Chris Rock do his uh, show at Zany's. He was preparing for his Netflix special, so he's working out material. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating to watch somebody like that. It was thirty feet from me in a room of three hundred people watching Chris Rock. And I went to see him, even though I knew he was going to be a dirty comic and all that. I yeah. know Chris Rock's style, but I, he's. He's paid to think for a living, and he's a genius. And I wanted to see what he would think about things. This was the day after the inauguration of Trump, by the way. Wow. So I couldn't wait to hear what he would say about Trump, which is fascinating. I was fascinating some of the things he said about left-wing people. When I know he's a left-wing person, he had some fascinating like barbs against mm-hmm. them acting like Hillary really won because she won the popular vote. He came out against that idea and shut it down in like three sentences in a genius way. But one of the things he said about the cop thing, he said, I have a complicated relationship with the police because I'm famous. He said, and people say, like, well, it's not all cops. It's not all cops. He goes, but police is uh, – the police is not the kind of job where we can put up with any bad apples. Hmm. He goes, it's like you could say not all pilots crash planes into the ground. But the fact that we have some pilots doing it, we got to address it because yeah. we're all getting on planes. And you can't just say, well, not there's some bad apples, it's a few bad. Well, we got to address these bad apples. Agreed. It, yeah, yeah. And so it's like we. I think that's the best way to put it. Is like, man, yes, we can say not all cops, but it's like, then the ones who are doing it right we need, we need to them. call them out, and not have this blue hide behind the blue shield of because yeah. that's tribalism too. It is, and you know what? And I have policemen friends, and my, I've never talked to a I've never talked to a person who said. If that guy did that, right. then absolutely hold him accountable. Yeah, you know, everybody's I think in agreement. They we need to be reasonably in agreement. It's the same thing with pastors. You know, like look, guys, if 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 a pastor has crossed the line yeah. into an area he should not be, Scripture calls us. It's an invitation. Yeah, it's an invitation to live real life together. That I am, and I think we miss these things as in, like the idea. I'm going to use a term here, Johnny, and people are like freak out about it. Oh boy, church correction. Okay, okay. Like 
how does that not just conjure beautiful images in your mind? Right. Things you can't. Oh, I would love. And so, love being corrected by the church. Yeah, and so we've absolutely thrown church correction away, mm-hmm. or we see it in like cultish levels. Yeah, and we don't have any balance in between of what that really means. Could you imagine in a family if a parent threw away child correction? Right. Or looked the other way like some churches do. It's like the two extremes. One, we excommunicate people never to be heard from right. again. Or we just don't do Or we it. look the other way because like he's the favorite son. Yep. He's the talented one. Yep. We have too much know. to lose. Or what's everyone going to think? And, that, and the truth is lots of people just get up and walk out because eh, I can go next door where this is not going to be uncomfortable. Right. Or and, I can at least have a year of fake – like feeling like this church has arrived. They've got it together. Right. Till I realize, I start seeing the cracks and the fatal flaws and everything. You're like, wait a second. Then just move to the next one. Yeah. yeah. It's a, and you have no idea that it happened everywhere you've been. <laughs> like, you, you don't remember that for some reason. But that invitation from Scripture to be honest with one another. Yeah. To say, you know, the Bible says, if you see someone stumbling, he who returns them to the path, like, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing. If I see my kid walking towards the street, yeah, and even if even if they cry because they don't they don't understand, um, and I think I'm not speaking. And I think we take church correction. We make it something like well, that means we send out a letter and everybody right. knew an email, right? The church <laughs> the church is their community, yeah. And so if they're not, if they, they should be the people they're in right. close community. Somebody should with. stop you. It shouldn't get to the point where you fall. Like yeah. there's an old African proverb that says, uh, "Don't look where you sl- don't look where you fell. Look where you slipped." Yeah, that's good. And uh, there's another African proverb that says, Hakuna Matata. <laughs> what a wonderful <laughs> phrase. I don't know why I'm bringing up African proverbs. Oh, my gosh. I'm so woke today. You can't get over how woke we are. But no, but I like that because it means we see the fall and we're like, oh. But the, the fall has been in progress for Absolutely. months, usually when it happens. Yeah. And it meant that everybody ignored the signs uh-huh. and or they didn't want to bring it up. They want to make it awkward. Yeah. Uh, I had a comedian friend text me yesterday. He just said, uh, are you okay? And uh, I got kind of weirded. I was like, "What? why would I, you know. But I'm glad he did that. He's checking on you. Yeah. It's like I don't talk to this guy all the time. And he's just like, are you doing okay? And it's like, there's not enough of that. There's not enough of that in the world. You know, my good friend, and I, I've talked about him before, my good friend who's a drug addict, you know, who's in ministry today. You know, his wife had to have a minor procedure, and I knew that they were – and I talked to both of them. Yeah. And, I, you know, she needed to have pain meds. And I said, hey, man, I'm going to call you every day. I'm going to check. And he said, dude, thank you. Yeah. Like, thanks for loving me. Right. And not because he's going to – we don't expect him to do it. Right. He's, he's in, a, in a very overcoming place right now. Yeah. And, but I told her and him, you know, what's the plan? You know, what are we going to do? Yeah. And because we should be – but there's a time in my life where if someone would have said – I would have been like, what do you think? I'm not changed. What do you think that right. I can't be trusted? It's like, guys, I can't be trusted. You know how I change? Yeah. I, the supernatural power of God works in my life, and you know yeah. what sustains that? In fact, I, I, I told – we had a guy in our membership class today. He's an attorney. We were talking about what community really is. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, you go to law school, man, you just learn so much stuff. I mean you take the bar, and you could, you could wax eloquent about the law. But and that's what that's what the gospel is. I mean, you learn and you're constantly being, you know, you're growing in it and learning and you're learning yeah. the scripture. But do you want to know where you really go to the courtroom and practice it? That's in, that's with people. Yeah, that's where you enter into some relationship where the things that you're experiencing become a practice. Yeah, that's why you know that I'm, this is now my daily expectation, not just that Johnny's gonna. We're going to read John three sixteen, or we're going to say a prayer over the food, you know. And I'm I got a long I got so far to go here. You and I, by the way, just started reading the same devotional every yeah, day. Yeah, it's great. You know, and um, and that was something I felt strongly because you're out in the road a lot. Yeah, you know, and I don't feel like I'm loving you very well enough to say. But I don't want to just be like, hey man, did you read your Bible today? Like, what if we don't had, use that voice? What if we could? Did Reverend, you, Reverend Lovejoy? <laughs> You know, today I would like to my favorite back before I was saved and I watched The Simpsons. Remember that? Um, I don't even think it's even that controversial anymore. No, you know, no, no, it's like nothing. Simpsons is so vanilla compared that. to what else is out there. <laughs> like I'm showing my kid The Simpson in the womb. <laughs> um, but uh, my favorite thing was when uh, uh, Homer had become great friends with um, uh, the neighbor Flanders. Flanders, yeah, yeah. 
And so Flanders hated Homer, but Homer was like having all the favor in all the community at the yeah. time, you know, and, you know, and, and so, uh, Ned Flanders. Yeah. And so he said, before I begin my Reverend sermon, Lovejoy. Reverend Lovejoy yeah. said, before I begin my sermon today entitled what Ned did, <laughs> I would like to honor Homer Simpson for his community service. Yeah. You know, it was like such a, but anywho, I don't know how we got there. I don't either. It was Reverend, I did the Reverend Lovejoy Reverend Lovejoy voice. voice. But yeah. you know, instead of just saying. Instead of just saying, hey, dude, and you know, and you and I talk about real life, and that's fine. Yeah. But I want to be intentional. I don't want to have a system. I don't want to create, you know, that, that's what's so weird. It feels so inauthentic to people. It's weird. Uh, and, I, and I have a, I'm sensitive to that. I mean, I'm a little bit paranoid about stuff like that. Like if I feel like I'm being handled right. or if I feel like I'm being uh, put, okay, somebody's worried about me. And maybe that's bad. And that's nothing but good on my part. Like even, if, I was telling that to my agent, I had a meeting with my agent yesterday and I was talking to him about something. I can't remember how it came you just up. had but, to drop that, didn't you? But I was talking, uh, anyway, agent. I'm very popular, <laughs> very important. But no, it was like. For some reason, it came up about accountability and how hard it is because, like, if I tell you that I'm struggling with my marriage, for instance, oh, it's tough right now, and mm-hmm. Curry and I aren't talking and whatever. You know, we had a huge fight, whatever. Not only am I, like, opening up to you, but that is now running in the background of future conversations with you. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a vulnerability that people don't experience because they're just like, I don't want – I would rather just try to handle this on my own. Because I don't want this two years from now. Hey, how are things? Right, things better. Mm-hmm. Like you just don't want to feel like they have that over you. So you just you don't even seek help. And see, it's I, so weird, but people do it. I think when people treat somebody different because they find out that they have a major life problem, it just proves that they've not they've never practiced community. Yeah, like I'm so not surprised that you. I would expect you to not be surprised. That my marriage has difficult moments. That's that's the problem, yeah. Johnny. If we're talking about that, we got to <laughs> talk about that today. I mean, that's the problem with yeah. us is the expectation. It goes back to biases and everything, right? My and, and it's the reason, by the way. Forget just the reason people don't go to church. It's the reason people are not are not transformed by the idea of seeing what happens in church. Yeah, because there is an, and, and how many people? I've, I've had tons of people in groups say that to me. I. When I come into a church, I have an expectation mm-hmm. that everybody else's life there is better than mine. They didn't, they didn't. They didn't struggle with porn that week. Yeah. They didn't struggle with arguing or yelling at their children. They didn't struggle with gambling, you know, an addiction. They didn't struggle with, you know, whatever that may be. And and they all look like they don't. They just look like it. And it's the it's the grandest lie <laughs> that we. And I think it's the I think that there is an, an enemy of our souls who perpetuates that. And I, but I think it's the church who corroborates the story, because I'm going to not let you see anything else anyway. So from the sermon on, and that's really where I take responsibility because I'm one of the guys on the stage. Yeah. Like if I never let you see, and if I never let you see. Right. Then everybody else is going to just follow suit. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, as the, yeah. as one of you're the you're laying shepherds, a template for them to put on a mask too. This is what it looks like, you know? right? And and so you're right. Then we become afraid that if I, I ever do share, because that's been maybe even your reality, yeah. That I share, and now someone's handling me. They use it somebody, against me, whatever. Yeah, or they're, you know, they won't trust me. I'm going to tell you at this point in my life. I don't want a friend that I don't know dirt on them, and I don't. Yeah. I don't if I don't, if, if my friends don't know what's really happening to me, then I don't think they're. I don't think that I'm being a good friend, or that they're the best friends that could be to me. Yeah, I used to man when I started doing these big events with these big speakers or whatever, and in the Christian world or big bands or whatever, I was. I think you have this weird sense of like, okay, well, they must have some secret thing. Mm-hmm. They, and I just don't feel that way anymore. I just I'm like, okay, well, I, I like to figure out like how they're making it all work or how, you know what I'm saying? Like how they're, the things they're having to the trade-offs and the family stuff and all yeah. that stuff. But I don't think like, oh, this person's got some secret handshake with God that I could never have because yeah. they wrote this book. Uh, Called The Secret Handshake The Secret God. Handshake with God. <laughs> <laughs> available from By John Pan- Available at HarperCollins Publishing, <laughs> September 2019. Uh, but uh, you know, yeah, but we were raised with that. We were raised in that thing of, uh, televangelists or whatever. They've got the thing or your pastor, he's got the, the prayer closet and he's the one that gets, he's the Oracle 
He goes in and gets the thing. Yeah. He's the direction. Uh, he'll, he hands it out to the, and then you run, take it and run with it instead of like, Oh, there's the priesthood of the believer. And we, we all can be close to God. You know, it's not that there shouldn't be a spiritual leadership and we should help each other. But this idea that like, he's the one that has to be the all knowing. We set this pastor up to fail when we do that too. Oh by the yeah. Way. Cause you're, you put this pressure on him and no accountability. Cause it's like, Oh sure. You're going a golf weekend. Sure. I'm sure everything's fine. Right. With your marriage, I'm sure that's not an affair. Like, we just let it go until, like you said, it's like, where did you slip, not where did you fall? And we slip and we, we take accountability away. We remove things. Well, either he doesn't believe, you know, I think only fools believe their own press release. I mean, yeah. my gosh, if you believe your own bio, even in your company website, I mean, none of us, we, right. the, the, let me just tell you, don't. Yeah, I read a great <laughs> quote, uh, a great quote from uh, John A. Kef today about a story he did for the New York Times. He was talking about fear of success. And which reminded me of that story that the kid did on you when you were a youth pastor. They did their their senior or their you know tenth grade report. I still have that. And it said John Driver. It was all about you. And the last sentence was like John Driver, who is afraid of success, <laughs> failure, and snakes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the big three. And uh, equally, equally thirty three percent of those things. <laughs> and I think about that because I feel like I definitely have a fear of success. Uh, I'm afraid of being nothing. I'm afraid of being insignificant or wasting, squandering. That's a huge fear of mine. But I'm also afraid of like uh, that I don't deserve good things. That's what he said. He said fear of failure is rooted in the belief that you do not deserve good things or feel your fear of success. Fear of success is rooted in the fear, the belief that you do not deserve good things. And so when you get good things, you're kind of like looking around. I compared it to, I think we talked about this before, but the movie Carrie, you ever seen Carrie? You don't watch horror movies. I don't. But you know the I, I you know, know the gist. Hey, Carrie is this girl who's different, and she doesn't know why. And ends up she has telekinetic powers. But that's right. who among us, right? But anyway, she's different. She's made fun of. She's teased every day. Blah blah blah. And so, as a big joke, the popular kids make her the prom queen. And so, as she walks on the stage, she's and then this music's playing, beautiful music, and they've rigged up this bucket of pig blood above her in the rafters, and they're pulling on the rope. The minute she the reaches the crescendo of like acceptance in her life. Finally, mm-hmm. people love me and they all know it's getting ready. To, that's the feeling I feel sometimes when things are going good. And I, it's hard to explain to people, but it's like, yeah, this is fine, but they're not laughing for the right reasons or they, the, you know what I'm saying? These, this isn't real or, or I don't deserve this. And so it's, that was an interesting quote. I was fascinated by that. I'm interested to read the story, but I don't know. I go, no, I, I, I think, I think that dude, your, your idea of, you know, go back to where you slipped, not where you know where you fell. Yeah, because that we're on it. I'm, I, I am convinced. In fact, God's secret handshake—that's the book, John. That's. Like, <laughs> I'm telling you, God's I could write a book on this very thing. Secret because, handshake. Yeah, and but it'll you, sound like you're pro exactly. handshake. You that's have to, the point. It would draw people in. They'll be like, "What? There's a God's secret handshake," and you're like, "I need to know about this." Yeah, because I believe people really believe they're people. I, you know, I have this whole thing about what you think you believe and what you really believe. Yeah. You know, um, and don't like, the Freemasons actually have secret handshakes that are like yeah. religious? Okay, go ahead. They do, but, but uh, yeah, <laughs> they really do believe in a God's secret. <laughs> but look, know, we're going to steal the Declaration of Independence, know. John. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, still got a few big coughs today. Not as bad as last week. But, oh my um, gosh! My grandfather told me he was eighty nine. He said to me one day last year, he said, "You know, John." He goes, everybody's sitting in church today. They, he said, they don't, the reason he, he's talking about, he's talking about new worship songs, mm-hmm. which, you know, I thought, oh, here it comes. He was like, you know, these worship songs, I was sitting there, you know, and he has to sit down and so I was listening, you know, I thought, oh, he's just going to bash, you know, the, the yeah. newfangled, you know, music. And he goes, you know what I was thinking? These are the most beautiful lyrics. I mean, just, just beautiful. He goes, I had one problem with him, John. I said, what, Papa? He said, we don't believe him. Wow. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, everybody's sitting there singing these things. We don't really believe them. He said, we agree with them. Yeah. But there's a big difference between agreeing with it and really believing it. Yeah. If you really believed everything you were singing, you know, and it, it really did. It was one of the most profound things I've ever heard. And so to me, that's a great way to define the thing that I think I believe mm-hmm. and the thing I actually believe, which again, I thought. I or the believed. things you wish you believed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like I thought I believed that I had no bias, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Then I find out, oh, actually I do. My belief systems are this way. I think that thing about 
that everyone else or certain people have that secret handshake with God yeah. is the number one thing among believers, and we're calling that. My, our friends, yeah. we, we were in that you know email devotional group. When I sit down with, with dudes especially, it's a constant. It's a – I literally didn't want to chime in because you're all – you all have something better to say than me, and what if I sound stupid? Or what if I say it wrong? Or what if I don't know the right scripture? What if my theology's off? What if my – we're terrified yeah. like of being – and you called it success you know, from the ACUF quote. But, but we're terrified of the idea that God might just be okay with us. Yeah. <laughs> and so we don't ever grow and learn like that. And again, the problem is we're not talking about those things to say, hey, dude. What if you were wrong? What if you said something dumb? Let's play that scenario out. What if your theology was off? And like if you don't have an environment where that's okay to happen, either because you're unwilling to be vulnerable enough to to step out, to grow, and to learn, or the people around you are not willing enough to gently say, dude, that's a great thought. Let Let me sharpen it. Because well, most – there's rarely a thought that's just completely wrong, you know. Yeah. But it's not like – it's, it's like it's, it's, all, it's all or nothing. So we think, well, my thoughts are as dumb. You know, well, Jesus and, and Satan are cousins and like most people's theology is not that far, you know. No. It's just it, – it, but these nuances, back to your word, nuances are how we grow. And I mean if I don't have an intentional place in my life to say who is hearing me get it wrong? Who is hearing me who loves me enough right. not to just go and – I, 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 wish, I wish I was a better communicator. In some ways, I, I feel like a failure right now because my – literally all my jobs in life are communication and I feel like I'm not saying it right. To say that I don't – when I say who in my life is sharpening me, someone hears a come to Jesus meeting, which again, I'm on a mission – to change come to Jesus meetings to something positive. To be a good thing. Because <laughs> why in the world that's the worst thing in the world? It's just hilarious. It's just a reflection of our poor gospel theology. You know? The Cavaliers lost three in a row and had to come to Jesus meeting with Coach Sharon <laughs> like, Lou today. Come to Jesus meeting should be the best thing that ever happened to you. That's right. But so, you know, it, but this, this idea You just though, rewrote my altar call <laughs> for my Sunday service. Come on, man. We're about to have a come to Jesus meeting. <laughs> why in the world is that bad to us? I don't know. It's because we, yeah. we really think Jesus is out to get us. Yeah. And, you know, Todd said, as Ty Wagner says, Jesus is not out to rip you off. He's out to set you free. That, yeah. That's what he wants. And you know what? You agree with that. It sounds awesome. And you'll listen to this podcast and you'll go, well, that's great. And you, and you won't believe it. Most of it's still, I don't believe it, Johnny. Like, well, it, it, part of it's like, well, do we, we don't believe we have the value. Like it's God instilled value, but we still feel like, yeah, but I'm not going to be enough. If he knew the real me, like we almost believe the, the root of it is that we don't really believe God knows the real us. So we still think we can hide. Absolutely. It's, it's Adam and Eve. Yeah. Like God can't see you behind those trees he created. Yeah, I used to say that uh, sometimes when I would do like a Sunday service. I would say that. I would say, where are you? Mm-hmm. You know, because that's what God said to Adam and Eve. Said, where are you? He knew where they were. He didn't have to ask. Yeah. He He's knew where they were. Giving them a chance to be honest about yeah. who, where they are. Yeah. And so that's the question. That's always the question. Yeah. And that's the thing is like. We talk about when I do sermons sometimes or I do services, I want to see what the culture is. Like what is your culture when it comes to like uh, call and response at the end of a service? Because mm-hmm. like if you just go in and they're not a – everybody walks down to the front church, you don't want to be that guy. So I try to like – where are you at? Do you guys pray at your seat? What do you do? Mm-hmm. But I do think when we get to the culture now where churches just want to have like a motivational speech and they don't even give them something to think about on the way home or they don't say – Based on what we've just talked about, let's make a decision today. Even yeah. if it's just a decision that we're going to be better husbands or wives, or we're gonna right. we're gonna seal this moment. I think it's so important that we do that because it, it we don't. It's just a, it's, it's that's a dying thing. If you don't, you know, we we came to a place church culture wise where, you know, when you were in my youth ministry, if you remember, I got yeah. an altar call. It's not not necessarily come front, but yeah. a response thing every right time. And eventually that became such a practice yeah. that it almost stopped having effectiveness. Right. So as a as a speaker now, I try to mix it up. Yeah. Remember the day I did the were you here the day I did the reverse altar call? Yeah, no, you told me about it though, and I liked it. The idea that like it was like instead of like, okay, it was like a a, a message that had a real salvation, you know, mm-hmm. um 
sort of response. And I was like, hey, here's the deal. I want, I want everybody to close your eyes. You know, I said, if you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus, you agree with everything I said today and you want Christ to continue to do those things in your life. Um, you know, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand. No. Yes. I want you to stand. Or I want, you know, okay, great. But I want you to leave your eyes closed. I want you to stand and leave your eyes closed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to, because this should be easy. Right. Now, all of you, I want you to know, no one can see you. If you're not standing, I don't want you to stand. I just want you to open your eyes. And I want you to see the community of faith that is wholeheartedly for you. Yeah. Is is saying that they're not, no one wants you to feel isolated. Like this, everybody is dying for you to make this decision and support you in it if this is where you feel. Because we've isolated. Like it's like a right. – and then there's the person. There's always a person. Well, yes, but if they can't stand in that moment for God, yeah. then how will they stand? And it's like, you know, I don't agree about how with you, that. Yeah, it's not about how you frame it. But should we make them take a walk of shame right. like in front of all the believers? Yeah. If you're going to – we all have a walk of shame. Yeah. Let's take it together. Right. Like that's the gospel. Let's take yeah, it together. Uh, Michael Jr. used to talk to me about this uh, comedian who does like so many Sunday services now and is a really, really great presenter of the gospel and is a comedian. Uh, but he told me some stuff that he'd gone through and had, that he'd learned. And one of them was he said, he said, the best advice I could give you was, he goes, if you, he goes, I have people raise their hand. I goes, I would say, if you want to accept Christ, raise your hand, you can put it right back down. Just raise your hand so I can see it. You can put it right back down. He said, I realized after doing that for about a month that I was sending the signal that raising your hand was bad. Right. right. You raise it, but you put it right back down. No one's going to no one And he said, I just stopped doing that, and I made it more of a point of like, I want, this is your moment. Don't. He goes, I didn't say, don't, I didn't say keep it up. I just said, raise your hand. But he goes, this idea that we made it this, he made it this almost shameful thing. Yeah. Um, and there's enough shame in the world. We all know that. And that's part of the deal. We We hide just like Adam and Eve, but I don't know, man, it's fascinating, but, and there's not a right wrong way, but I do think like, not, not even it's just a salvation thing, but I do think there should be a, we call it for a while to go box. You used to do this thing where we said, here's your to go box for yeah. today. Here's the stuff. And that, I want beca- you to- that became a new tradition, right? <laughs> so here's the like- thing I want you to take with you, think about yeah. or whatever. And I don't know, I chew on that stuff, but I travel a lot. Maybe it's my experience is different in church than most people now. I, I think that it's all you're, I always want people to, if nothing else, Hey, pray, let's pray. You where you are right now. If you need to, if right. you need a response, we're going to be here. Sometimes we do a lot of we do a lot of invitations in the middle of a service, like during a time of worship. Hey, you know, if you feel if you got a, a major need, if you want people yeah. to pray for you, want to be, mm-hmm. and I think there's a, a time for that. Um, and sometimes we do it at the end of a service, and sometimes it's a, you know, I just taught on John chapter four or whatever, and you know, I want you to go home and pray, think we're going to pray right now. If you want to talk, we're here, kind yeah. of thing. If you need something, you know. Um, making that availability because I feel I just I just my thing with so it's always some sort of response. The response is so important. Yeah. But what I don't want though is the response always to be for the crisis person right. or the unbeliever. And it's like, guys, the reason the unbelievers don't respond is because the believers don't respond. It's not our normal yeah. practice. Like you should be the most responsive. Yeah, there's a to sanctification the process where yes. we're all being molded day by day. There was a great meme of that. Uh, I don't know. We're closing, but uh, there was a great meme of that, and it said, "Sanctification." This is sanctification in a nutshell. It was like a a video, and the video was a loop of a guy falling down an up escalator. <laughs> I was like, that's pretty good. Yeah. So it's like, we're falling, but we're still being carried up. There's, there's, we're being carried by something that's not a, a force of our own. Yep. We fall all the time, but yep. we're still going to make, we're going to make it yep. up eventually. You have a role, but it's not all up to you. Yeah. And that's such a, and when you try to do it on your own, you fall more, it's yeah. going to be even worse. Yeah. And you take other people down with you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a perfect analogy. It's good. So. That's good. Well, man, hey, great discussions today. We had a lot of uh, a lot of things, and I hope uh, I hope if you're listening out there that you're <laughs> preparing your emails. <laughs> I do encourage you. You know what? What we always want to do, man, we want to grow. We want to talk, and and think everything we share is from our place of uh, God knows, Johnny. I'm just I'm broken, man. I'm broken, and God's been you know faithful and full of grace towards me, and that's just a story that I'm going to get to keep on walking out. So. Yep. Where are you going this weekend? I'm going to uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Oh. See my buddy Marty. Oh, that'd be fun.
Simpson. MartySimpson.com. There you go. Yeah, not a sponsor. No, uh, but he's funny. But he could be. Could Marty. be. We'd love to see it. Did I tell you he sponsored his kid's baseball team one year? So it was the MartySimpson.com Braves or whatever. <laughs> oh, <is it> really? <laughs> so he could put it on the little great. thing on the uniform. It's so dumb. <laughs> that's great. Uh, you be looking for uh, the God's Secret Handshake. Absolutely. Uh, Coming to you yeah. soon from Pendant Publishing. <laughs> well, I hope you guys have a great uh, rest of your week, and we'll see you next time on... Talk About That. Everyone wants to change the world. Capital Ministries is doing just that, one heart at a time by creating disciples of Jesus Christ among political leaders in the U.S. and foreign nations. For more than 25 years, founder Ralph Drawlinger has written Bible studies specifically for public servants. Study along with us and learn what the Bible says about capitalism, communism, abortion, same-sex marriage, and other contemporary issues. Subscribe and follow us at lifeaudio.com or search Capital Ministries on your favorite podcast platform.